Amen. Let's pray. Amazing God, I just thank you for this opportunity to be with this family of believers. And God, I just pray right now that you just open our hearts to your message today. Lord, it's a, it's a challenging message, not only for those who will hear it, but for the one who's going to be preaching it. Lord, I just pray that um, we receive it with open hearts and open minds today. I pray this in your name. Amen. A woman stands before a judge and jury, places one hand on the Bible, the other hand in the air, and makes a pledge. For the next few minutes, she vows to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth with God as her witness. She is a witness. Her job is to expand, not expand upon or dilute the truth. Her job is simply to tell the truth. Leave it to the legal counsel to interpret Leave it to the jury to resolve. Leave it to the judge to apply. But the witness, the witness speaks the truth. Let her do more or less, and she taints the outcome. Let her do that. Let her tell the truth, and justice has a chance. We as Christians are witnesses. We too make a pledge. Like witnesses in court, we are called to tell the truth. The bench may be absent and the judge unseen, but the Bible is present. The watching world is the jury, and we are the primary witnesses. We are subpoenaed by no less than Jesus himself when he said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and in every part of the world. Acts 1.8 We are witnesses, and like witnesses in the court, we are called to testify to tell what we have seen and what we have heard, and we are to speak truthfully. Our task is not to whitewash or embellish the truth. Our our task is to tell the truth, period. There is, however, one difference between the witness in court and the witness for Christ. The witness in court eventually steps down from the witness chair, but the witness for Christ never does. Since the claims of Christ are always on trial, court is perpetually in session, and we remain under oath. For the Christian deception is never an option, because it wasn't an option for Jesus. Today we continue our sermon series, Beautiful Outlaw, and we're going to be talking about a daring truthfulness. And I find it kind of ironic that Chris chooses to leave and let me preach about lying and gossip. Not sure what he's saying about that. I'm sure it's just, a, just a, how it happened to fall. But uh, what comes to your mind when you hear the word daring? When I think of the word daring, several words come to mind. Bungee jumping is daring. Or stupid. But daring. The extreme games are daring. Some of those things they do aren't just daring in extreme games. They are flat out crazy. Preaching in front of people over the age of 18 is daring for me. When I think of daring, I think of the firemen on 9-11 rushing into the Twin Towers without any regard for their own lives, but only thinking about those people they were trying to save. I think of our military men and women who put themselves in harm's way so we can live in a country that is free. I looked up the definition of daring, and daring can be an adjective with synonyms such as bold, valiant, brave, fearless, unafraid. But daring can also be a noun. It is defined as adventurous courage with synonyms such as bravery, 
courage, valor, heroism, spirit. Today I'm going to ask you to be daring, and being daring today is a two-part proposition. I want to challenge you to be daring enough to open your heart ups to God and allow Him to reveal areas in your life that you might not be being truthful. And in the end, I'm going to challenge you to be daring in the way that you live your life out from here on out. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. According to a study conducted by Robert Feldman, in a 10-minute conversation, we tell an average of 3.3 lies. That's one lie every three minutes or so. The most shocking study concluded that we are lied to every five minutes or an average of 200 times a day. In another study, 59% of 2,000 American parents admitted to lying to their children on a regular basis. Ouch. And yet nearly all parents do not want their children to lie and have no tolerance for their children when they lie to them. Another author, Ralph Keyes, who has written an excellent book on lying, concludes, some form of deception occurs nearly two-thirds of all conversations. And if that research on the subject is credible... Nearly all of us tell lies and far more than we realize. So why do we lie? I doubt any of us were raised to be liars. I doubt any of us woke up one morning and said, you know, I think today uh, I think I'm going to lie. No, rather we have this innate need to think well of ourselves. So when we do lie, we need an excuse. If someone were to come in and take a poll and ask us why we lie, here are a few things that we might say. I don't want to have to deal with someone else's hurt feelings. Oh, it was just a white lie. I meant no harm. If I told the truth, I would get in trouble. The ends justify the means. When the experts dive into the reasons behind why we lie, there are two primary reasons that come out. The first is fear. Most of our lying is fear-based. We avoid to lie. We, We lie to avoid trouble. For example, a mother walks into the kitchen and finds her two-year-old covered in flour and says, Joey, did you spill the flour? The little boy thinks about the consequences of telling the truth and without missing a beat and says, No, Mama. Why? Why did he lie? Well, fear. He feared the consequences of telling the truth. Children, for the most part, are terrible liars, so just don't even try because we can see right through it. It actually takes years for a person to become an effective liar because lying involves overriding our bodies. I'm not sure that's a good thing that we can become effective liars. But even then, it's difficult for us to fool a lie detection machine because our bodies are so adverse against it. When asked questions like, did you ever love anyone before you met me? Or is that your best offer? Or did you cheat on that assignment? We are mindful of our answer and that that answer will either cause us pain or pleasure. And obviously, we prefer pleasure. Rexanne teaches uh, English, and her major writing project every year has been a research paper on dogs. And each person gets to choose a, a type of dog, so like German Shepherd, and they have to write their research paper on it. And it amazes me the number of kids that just simply go on to the Internet and copy and paste from the Internet... A research paper. It's like they don't think that a teacher has an internet or the Google search engine. And so Rexanne, being the great teacher she is, simply prints out the paper and hands it to him and says, 
Where'd you get your paper? And of course they lie. Oh, uh, some other, you know, and then she hands a paper to him and they're caught. But why do they lie? Well, fear. They fear that they will get a bad grade or possibly suspended. So we lie out of fear, but we also lie when we think we might gain something that we want. Kids lie about their age so they can join Facebook earlier. Teenagers get fake IDs or lie about their age so they can purchase alcohol or tobacco. Adults lie about their marital status, their education, their occupation in order to get something that they want. And we use a common rationalization to justify our actions. And that rationalization is that my needs are more important than anything else. Desire propels them to lie. Author David Callahan broadens the category of lying to include cheating, which is a form of lying. And cheating involves deception with the intent to gain something. I will go ahead and, I had taken this part out of the sermon, but Terry told me I have to preach it, so I'm going to tell. Hopefully mom and dad aren't listening on the, on the internet to this message later. It was my senior year of high school. It was the spring semester. I was playing soccer, and we had soccer. I was also somehow chosen to be the lead vocalist in a band we put together for Hail a Baloo, which was our senior talent show. And so we were practicing for that. And my sweet little English teacher on our vocabulary test just chose to always go straight down the line with the questions in order, never mixing them up, making it very simple to memorize. But I didn't have time. I, was, I had all this stuff going on. And I had a desire to make a good grade. And so back then, kids, we didn't have these cool things called iPhones that you guys have. We actually had um, these new watches that were really cool. They were digital watches, a watch that you could put phone numbers in. And so because my sweet, wonderful little English teacher liked to uh, just go straight down the line, I just wrote number one and the first three letters of the answer. Number two, the first lead, and made myself a little steady aid, so to speak. Now, I, I, I want to clarify from this beginning. I learned my lesson very quickly, and that's the only time I ever cheated on a test. And uh, I wasn't very good at this. As I said, kids aren't very good liars. Because not only did I put all those answers in the watch, I was such a good student, I sat on the front row of the classroom and I was stupid enough to do it in front of the teacher, in front of her desk. So then we get to the test, and I'm sitting there. You know, I'm trying to be all sly, you know, because I'm such a good cheater. And uh, looking at the question, okay, number one. And I, I, did know, I did know some of the answers, just for the record. But if I got stuck, huh, I wonder what time it is. Hmm, there's the answer. So my teacher walks up to me and says, what's this, a cheating watch? Takes my paper and rips it up in front of the class. I learned my lesson that day because my teacher had me stay out of class. I was embarrassed, and she, you know, she put the ultimate guilt trip on me. I could keep you from graduating. You're a better student than that. You're the president of FCA. And so, you know, everything, I'm feeling guilty. And, you know, I'm thankful that I got caught the one time I cheated because I didn't cheat anymore. And I actually got a scholar-athlete award in high school, so... But I learned my lesson. But the reason I did that is I wanted to gain something without having to work at it. I wanted the easy way out. Here's some other examples. Rick Sands students weighed the cost of cheating on their paper with the chances of getting caught. Why? Because they desire to gain the grade without doing the work. Many wealthy parents take their kids' diagnosis shopping. 
meaning they go to multiple doctors until they find one who will say that their child has a slight learning disability because an official diagnosis of disability will allow their kids more time on the SATs. More time equals a better grade. A better grade equals a better university. Can't relate to those stories. Personnel offices estimate that nearly 25% of information they see on resume is not just padding, but gross misinformation. George O'Leary is currently the head football coach of the number 19th ranked and moving up Universal of Central Florida Knights. You may remember George from his days as head coach at Georgia Tech, where he led his Yellow Jackets to five bowl games in seven years, and in 2000 was named the Bobby Dodd National Coach of the Year. However, it wasn't his great coaching that many remember George O'Leary for. If you're a sports fan, you'll remember 2001 when Notre Dame, one of the top historical, most prestigious universities and football programs, named George O'Leary its head coach. A few days later, after he was hired, inaccuracies were discovered in his published biographical sketch. In that sketch, it stated that O'Leary had earned a master's degree from NYU Stony Brook, a non-existent university. Actually, he had fabricated universities combining the two names of two different universities over 50 miles apart. In fact, he had only taken two courses from Stony Brook and never graduated. He also claimed that he had earned three letters in football from the University of New Hampshire when the school claimed he never even played in one game. O'Leary said in a statement released that day, to do selfish and thoughtless act many years ago, I have personally embarrassed the University of Notre Dame, its alumni, and fans. O'Leary blamed the inaccuracies on resume padding that had followed him his entire career, admitting, in seeking employment, I have prepared a resume that contained inaccuracies regarding my completion of coursework for a master's degree and also my level of participation in football at my alma mater. These misstatements were never stricken from my resume or biographical sketch in later years. O'Leary lied so that he would, more seem, so he would seem more appealing to prospective employers. Still not relating to any of these, thousands of Americans knowingly, are knowingly pirating cable TV, which translates into stealing $6 billion a year in free TV. $6 billion. No wonder my cable rates are so high. And you may be thinking, no, me, Scott, I pay for my TV. Anyone ever here earned a DVD or CD for a friend or asked someone else to do the same for you? Callahan concludes, Americans are not only cheating more in many areas, but also are feeling less guilty about it. Something seems to have shifted over the last de uh, decades. It's my belief that people are adapting to their social surroundings because others are lying and getting away with it. People feel that they must do the same. Just look at the world of professional sports. The mid to late 90s are going to be known as a steroid era in baseball. Over the past 20 years, player after player has been implicated. And during this time, it, we kind of started thinking it was just those big guys trying to hit the home runs because chicks dig the long ball. Woo! And Major League Baseball supported it. But then as we've seen over the years, it's actually pitchers and other guys who've never made the big leagues. And even with Major League Baseball focusing on cleaning up the game, players are still getting caught every year. When these players are caught and asked why they did it, they say they did it to keep up the competitive edge. They knew others were doing it in order to keep their spot on the team and competing for those big contracts. They were willing to risk getting caught. 
Lance Armstrong and his numerous Tour de France wins and races and his vicious defense taking really aggressive uh, attacks on those who were are challenging him and saying he was doing it only to have to come back all these years later and say, yes, I cheated. Here's the thing about lying and cheating. Sadly, it works. People lie on a resume and get a job. People lie about a sale price and make more money. You're thinking, yes, Scott, we know lying is wrong, but you yourself pointed out that everyone does it. The research even proves it. What's the big deal? Does one or two white lies really make that big of a difference? Compared to those big whoppers that those guys in Washington tell, I'm a saint. Well, according to Jesus, Satan is the father of lies, John 8, 44. Deceit was the first tool out of the devil's tool bag in the Garden of Eden. Satan didn't discourage Eve. He didn't seduce Eve. He didn't sneak up on Eve. He simply lied to her. And it didn't just affect Eve. It affected Adam, and the honesty of Eden became a distant memory. Satan is a master deceiver and is here to still kill and destroy marriages, families, and lives. We aren't the witness on a witness stand in a trial. We don't get to step down. We are a daily witness for Christ. In a world that looks at the church and simply sees a bunch of hypocrites, this is a huge deal. Even those simple little small lies that seem innocent and like they won't affect anything can affect our witness to someone who's looking for a reason not to believe. And what is even more dangerous is that one little white lie opens the door for Satan into our lives. Listen to the story from Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Ananias and his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property, but they agreed to cheat and keep some of the money for themselves. So when Ananias took the rest of the money to the apostles, Peter said, Why has Satan made you keep back some of the money from the sale of this property. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? The property was yours before you sold it, and even after you sold it, the money was still yours. What made you do such a thing? You didn't lie to people. You lied to God. As soon as Ananias heard this, he dropped dead, and everyone who heard about it was frightened. Some young men came in and wrapped up his body, And then they took it out and buried it. Three hours later, Sapphira came in, but she did not know what had happened to her husband. Peter asked her, tell me, did you sell the property for this amount? Yes, she answered, that's the amount. Then Peter said, why did the two of you agree to test the Lord's spirit? The men who buried Ananias are by the door and they will carry you out. At once she fell at Peter's feet and died. When the young men came back in, they found Sapphira lying dead. So they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. The church members were afraid, and so was everyone else who heard what had happened. More than once I have heard people talk about this story and say with a nervous laughter, <laughs> I sure am glad doesn't, God still doesn't strike down people for lying. As I reflect on that statement, I'm reminded of Romans 6.23 that says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, I don't think God personally strikes people down for lying. However, I do think it could be argued that death does occur. Falsehoods are the termites of the family household that destroys a marriage. There's a death of the conscious when a second lie is always much easier to tell than the first. There's a death of a career when a person is fired for embezzlement or a student is expelled for cheating. Or what about the death of our faith? 
The language of faith and the language of falsehoods have two different vocabularies. Those fluent in the language of falsehood find terms like confession and repentance hard to pronounce. We could also list the deaths of intimacy, trust, peace, credibility, and self-respect. But perhaps the most tragic death that occurs from deceit is our witness. The court will not listen to the testimony of a perjured witness, and neither will the world. We are destroying our own integrity and of our own souls. Jesus said, if we gain the whole world but lose our soul, we have truly lost what is most important. Every era has its problems when it comes to knowing Jesus. One of those in our society is we have lost all confidence in the noble, the heroic, and even the consistently good. We live in a world that's rocked by scandal. People have become cynical. We turn on the news and we hear the, te- hear the teaser from the commentator. Another scandal rocks our nation. Tune in tonight at 5 to find out who. Our first reaction is not shock or disbelief, but rather, who is it this time? A politician? A, mon- a multinational corporation? The church? One of the most astounding assessments of Christ is the summary that he had done nothing wrong and that he had never lied. Jesus was staunchly honest, his every word accurate, his every sentence true. No cheating on tests, no altering the accounts. Not once did Jesus stretch the truth. Not once did Jesus shade the truth. Not once did he avoid the truth. He simply told the truth. He said, I am the truth. And if God has his way with us, none of us will be liars either. The truth will be found in our lives. He longs for us to be just like Jesus. His plan, if you remember, is to shape us into the likeness of Christ. He seeks not to decrease or minimize our deception, but to eliminate deception from our lives totally. God has a strict honor code. From Genesis to Revelation, the theme is the same. God loves the truth and hates deceit. Scripture is clear on this. Proverbs 12, 22. The Lord hates those who tell lies, but is pleased with those who keep their promises. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, the Lord hates a lying tongue. Psalm 5, 6, God destroys liars. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 lists all the types of people who will not inherit the kingdom. Those who sin sexually, worship idols, take part in adultery, sell their bodies, get drunk, and there it is, lie to others. Lying about others can take many forms, but the most prevalent in our society is gossip. You hear something about someone and you pass it on to others. We as a society have become obsessed with knowing everyone else's dirt. We have photographers who stalk the rich and the famous to try to catch a picture of their lives falling apart. We have news channels rushing to scoop and to get the information out there first, even if they don't know for sure, just so they can be the first. They spread those lies about people and they simply do it from an anonymous source without any recourse for what's discovered when they're wrong. Yes, you might get a retraction in a part of the paper that no one ever reads, but rarely, they, most of the time, they don't even admit that they were wrong. One of my favorite youth ministry games is called The Secret Game. It goes by many names, telephone, gossip, did you hear, pass it on. Here's how it works. We either form a circle or we form a line, and the first person whispers a statement in the second person's ear. Then the second person whispers it in the third person. Third person, the fourth person, etc., until it gets to the end of the line. And then the last person shares what the statement was. I can't tell you that it's r- how many times, in fact, it's rare, if any, that the, 
that the statement hasn't changed a little bit. Because when we pass on things that we don't know firsthand, the story is going to change. And that's what happens when we gossip. When we gossip, the story often changes and normally not for the better. Why does God take such a hard stand on lying and gossip? For one reason, dishonesty is contrary to the character of God. According to Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie. It is not that God will not lie or that He has chosen not to lie. He cannot lie. It just can't happen just as a dog can't fly and a bird can't bark. Titus 1.2 says God cannot lie. God always speaks the truth. He makes a covenant. He keeps it. And when he makes a statement, he means it. And we, when he proclaims the truth, we can believe it. Amen? That's a good thing. What God says is true. 2 Timothy 2.13 is one of my favorite scriptures. Because we're going to mess up. But 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are not faithful, God will still be faithful. Because he cannot be false to himself. People who dwell in the kingdom of heaven will find lying less and less part of their lives. That is because the kingdom addresses all of the reasons for living. First, life in God, with God, the kingdom, can let go of all our fears. We don't have to have fears if we're living with Christ. We don't need to fear because if we're trusting in Christ, everything will take care of itself. Telling the truth can cause discomfort or embarrassment but we will live with a God who protects us and provides for us. If we choose to lie, we are not in harmony with God or his kingdom. And losing that is much worse than the consequences of telling the truth. Understanding our identity in Christ helps us in the area of lying. Paul urged the Colossians, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with all of its practices. Notice that second clause, that's Colossians 3.9. Since you have taken off the old self, since Jesus dwells in us and delights in us, we strive to put it in of deception in our own lives. Telling the truth is a great start, but as we move further into the kingdom of kingdom living, we begin to use our tongues to bless and encourage others. Listen as I read James 3, 1 through 12. My friends, we should not all try to become teachers. In fact, teachers will be judged more strictly than others. All of us do many wrong things, but if you can control your tongue, you are mature and able to control your whole body. By putting a bit into the mouth of a horse, we can turn a horse in different directions. It takes strong winds to move a large sailing ship, but the captain can use only a small rudder to make it go in any direction. Our tongues are small, yet they brag about big things. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. And the tongue is like a spark. It is an evil power that dirties the rest of the body and sets a person's entire life on fire with the flames that come from hell itself. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures can be tamed and have been tamed. But our tongues get out of control. They are restless and evil and always spreading deadly poison. My dear friends, our tongues, with our tongues we both speak praises and curses. We praise the Lord our Father, and we curse people that were created to be like God, and this isn't right. Can clean water and dirty water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? Does fresh water come 
from a well full of salt water. With our tongues, we speak both praises and curses. We praise the Lord our Father, and we curse people who are created to be like God, and this isn't right. Paul challenged the church in Ephesus to let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is youthful for building up as there is need, so that your words may be grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4, 29. Those who live a monastic life, you know, monks and nuns, practice the discipline of silence. They do so for many reasons, but one is to to counter the sins of the tongue, such as lying and gossip. Practicing this discipline teaches them the power of words and gives them greater control over their tongues. Now, none of us are monks or nuns, but we can practice this same discipline to help us learn to bridle our tongue. If we do not speak, we cannot lie. We cannot gossip. We cannot hurt others with our words. Throughout this series, uh, Chris has been giving us homework. It's our opportunity to apply the message to our lives in a practical way. If you'll remember at the beginning of our message, I said I was going to ask you to be daring. I asked you to be daring enough to open up your hearts and your minds and allow God to reveal areas in your life that you aren't being truthful. And I said in the end I was going to dare you to live your way be daring in the way you live your life out from here on out. So this week we have two exercises to choose from. The first exercise is to go a day without speaking. Really, Buzz Kirk? This is the sermon you give me of all people. This is our primary tool for the week. So if you can only do one of the two, try this one. It's very challenging and takes a lot of planning and preparation. Can I get an Amen. In our world, how is this possible? Well, first of all, choose a day will be, will, there will be less of a problem for you. For most, uh, the weekend will be the best time. You can choose to go from sundown to sundown, for example, Friday evening to Saturday evening. This will be extra tough for those of us who are OSU or OU fans, considering Bedlam's next Saturday. Uh, but some warnings about this one if you choose to do this one. First, be sure to let others know what you're doing. Silence creates suspicion and concern. People will be asking you, are you okay? If someone calls you and you do not respond, you might get a uh, visit from the emergency responders. So please send out an email or a text message to your loved ones and family and friends and let them know what you are doing. Second, if you're going to speak, if you're asked to speak and it's beneficial to do so, then speak. Because obviously we are, if someone wants to know about Christ, we should tell them about Christ, okay? It's not your excuse to get out of that. Um, If someone's about to be hit by a bus, by all means, please yell. Okay, and uh, number three, in many cases, you can use hand gestures or use written notes if you feel that you must communicate. However, kids texting does not count. Most people will find this uh, challenging but rewarding experience, but don't be afraid of it. Be aware of your speech and the people and things around you as you take uh, on this challenge. One more stipulation to this exercise, husbands, this is not an excuse for you to ignore your wives. Kids, this is an opportunity for you to not do your class assignments. For example, if you are in speech class or drama class and you're supposed to perform or give a speech this week, don't choose the date your speech is due and say, sorry, teach, can't do it. I'm doing what my preacher said. Okay, so you have to do it where it doesn't, uh, it doesn't interact or, or mess up your lives. For some, this first exercise is an impossibility. If that's the case, then choose a day this week to... Uh, be a day of lie-free and gossip-free. Go a whole day without lying or gossiping. 
Do your best not to lie to anyone. And if you accidentally do tell a lie, as soon as you realize it, say something like, you know, now that I reflect on that, that's not the truth. The truth is, do you like Judge Justin Bieber? Oh, I love him. You know, now as I reflect on that, no, I can't stand the guy. Okay? So that would be, that would be an example if I lie, because I, I love the Biebs. No, really, I, I just lied. I don't, I, I, it doesn't do anything for me. Uh, you may be afraid that people are going to be upset with you or disappointed with you. But you may be surprised. Most people will find it refreshing that you told them the truth and that you're being honest because we live in a world that there's not a lot of honesty. And just as I had a stipulation in the first exercise, I have a stipulation in this exercise. To the wives in the congregation, this is an opportunity to find out if your husband really likes your cooking or a certain dress or your hair. Okay? I don't want to cause any marital strife this week with this challenge, so please uh, take that to uh, heart. Friends, our world will be a better place. If truth is a virtue practiced by those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. So let us set the standard for our society. Let's pray. Amazing God, uh, this has been a challenging message to preach because like a lot of people in this room, I have told a lie. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, forgive me for those, cha- those times that I have lied. And Lord, even when I've done it with the, the, uh, the attitude of not wanting to hurt someone, Lord... I pray that you will just help me to uh, ask forgiveness and seek forgiveness for those. Lord, as we go through this week uh, attempting to uh, not tell lies or not gossip or possibly even be silent for a day, Lord, help it to be a time that we grow in our faith with you and we learn to start to watch what we say and to use our words to edify others and to tell others about you. This is our prayer in your name. Amen.